Welcome to this reading of the Business Record, Central Iowa's Business Weekly. I'm Pat Steele. I'm glad to be here to read you the December 22nd edition of the Business Record. All material heard on IRIS is intended for the use of listeners with print disabilities. Now here's our first story from this week's Business Record. The State Historical Society of Iowa calls for board and awards nominations. The State Historical Society of Iowa is accepting nominations for the Excellence in Iowa History Awards, which recognize those who make contributions to the study and practice of Iowa history, according to a press release. Nominations for the Benjamin F. Shambaugh Award for published books are due by January 2nd, while nominations for all other awards are due by February 1st. Details about the awards can be found on the State Historical Society website. The organization is also accepting nominations for its Board of Trustees. Nominations are open to all, but board nominees must be society members willing to attend five meetings per year and serve on committees. Nominations to the board must include a brief biography and should be submitted by March 1st with the elected trustees serving a three-year term starting July 1st. 2024 self-nominations are accepted. Those interested in becoming a member can learn more again at the State Historical Society website. Lincoln's Bank Corp and Lincoln's Saving Bank Board of Director announced Monday the appointment of Sean Willett as Lincoln Savings Bank's new CEO effective December 29th. Willett is a banking executive with more than 25 years of experience in traditional core banking and emerging fintech models, according to a news release. He most recently served as Chief Administrative Officer at Five Star Bank, a $6.1 billion institution in western New York. Lincoln's savings banks, metro and rural customer demographics, closely resemble those of Willett's current clientele, the release said. Emily Gersh, who has served as interim CEO since Eric Sovard resigned from the position in June, will return to her previous role as Chief Financial Officer, Willett was appointed following a national search led by executive recruiting firm Trevelyan and selection process by the board of directors to release said Willett and his family will relocate to the Cedar Valley. The Broadlands Medical Center Board of Trustees has hired a national search firm to help find a new president CEO following Anthony Coleman's resignation early November. According to a news release, the board chose Hart's search after several proposals from other firms were reviewed. Officials with Broadline said that Hart's was selected because of its concierge-level service of executive search capabilities. The officials said in a news release they utilized an evidence-based engagement process that identifies, evaluates, and qualifies talent to meet strategic objectives. Officials also cited Hart's belief that transparent communication is critical for establishing trust and integrity. Hart's search is a trusted resource with expertise and paired with our knowledgeable review committee. We are confident and excited for the results of the search progress. And that's a statement from David Miglin, chairperson of the hospital's board. The search committee will be composed of the hospital board and community and staff members to release stated Broadlawn's Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Jason Noose, will continue to serve as interim CEO until a new CEO and president has been named. The Charlotte, North Carolina-based Hearts will begin the search for a new president and CEO after January 1st. After more than 30 years of serving patients, Mercy One will stop providing care at its Urbandale Clinic at 6202 Aurora Avenue after January 26th according to Mercy One Director of Communications, Eve Lederhaus. 
Peterhouse added that Mercy One patients who receive care at the Urbandale location have been notified that their providers will move to others nearby Mercy One locations in the Des Moines area and that there will be no job cuts as part of the change. All staff will be relocated to other facilities. Leaderhouse wrote in an email, structured challenges with the current building paired with ongoing financial challenges facing healthcare have led to making this change in the best interest of our patients and colleagues. We look forward to serving all our patients with uninterrupted care at other Mercy One locations. The Iowa legislature needs to continue its focus on issues that will make the state more competitive and help increase Iowa's population. And that's from Joe Murphy, the president of the Iowa Business Council. Murphy said the group's agenda for the 2024 legislative session, which begins January 8th, reflects the need to continue to address tax policy, workforce strategies, including child care, Housing and work-based learning programs and investment in major economic growth attraction are mega program. The Iowa Business Council released its agenda for the upcoming session, outlining its priorities to address the state's ongoing workforce challenges. The nonpartisan, nonprofit organization is made up of 21 of the chief decision makers for the state's largest employers. Murphy said he expects to see lawmakers continue tax reform efforts that were started in 2022 when the legislature approved a five-year phased reduction in individual income tax and a reduction in the state's corporate tax rate. Lawmakers will likely focus on expediting the pace of reductions in individual income taxes, which Murphy said will further efforts to make Iowa competitive in attracting and retaining talent. He went on to say, I think there's absolutely going to be a conversation on increasing our competitiveness from a tax policy standpoint. The governor and the legislature have been talking about increasing their efforts to make Iowa more competitive. And while we've taken really great steps over the past several years, there's an opportunity, given the strength of Iowa's fiscal capacity, to particularly accelerate some of those tax cuts. Murphy cited a recent report from the state's Revenue Estimating Conference that projected Iowa will take in $9.75 billion in fiscal year 2024, which ends June 20th, 2024. He also said there's more than $2 billion in the taxpayer relief fund. So I think the legislature looks at it as, hey, there's a lot of available resources out there to engage with, and that's something I expect them to do, he said. Murphy said getting to a flat individual income tax is important, and that the Business Council has not taken a position on what that rate should be, but that getting to a 3.9% rate that was set in 2022 is a big improvement from a previous top-line rate of 8.9%. Efforts to lower the individual tax rate are getting noticed as talent professionals visit other states trying to recruit people to move to Iowa. Murphy said, Iowa continues to have a workforce shortage and we need to bring in new Iowans from other parts of the country and have them live here. And one of the things that we've traditionally talked about is our low cost of living. But the fact that we can then also talk about our taxes are going down and will be simpler, will be fairer, will be a really important point to offer prospective Iowans and certainly something our members are trumpeting as they talk to individuals. Murphy said that addressing taxes helps address Iowa's population growth challenge. When you talk about tax policy, you're talking about growth policy, not just for the economy and businesses that currently reside in our state, 
But it's really about growth policy for people, bringing in more businesses, which bring in individuals who want to take advantage of the new tax climate our state is gradually getting to. It's absolutely a population growth strategy and something we really firmly believe in. On workforce strategies, the Iowa Business Council will focus on child care, housing, and work-based learning. Murphy said the council will be closely watching efforts that address workforce challenges in the child care industry. He said, how can the state engage policy efforts to create opportunities so that child care centers can attract more workers into their facilities and then also pay them more? Two specific areas are exempting child care facilities from property taxes with the idea of using that savings to increase wages and exempting child care workers from paying state income tax. Those are two interesting and innovative ideas that we need to consider for that critical industry to make sure that child care workers have the ability to earn a living and that we're attracting more people into that very important industry for our state, Murphy said. He said that the business council members will be open to other innovative ways to increase access to quality child care and increase the talent pipeline for the industry. Increasing access to child care will also help get people who may have left the workforce in recent years because of child care challenges back to work. It all comes back to workforce development, so this is a key aspect for our future growth, Murphy said. Work-based learning is also a critical tool to build Iowa's talent pipeline. Additional investment is needed in register apprenticeship and intern programs to help young people make future decisions about their careers. Murphy added that it also means funding for career counselors and work-based learning coordinators. Murphy said it's not just about immediately graduating from high school and jumping into the workforce. That may work well for some students, but other students might take an internship and realize they really like accounting and want to go to UNI and major in accounting. That's what work-based learning opportunities provide, that clarity or sense of direction on what opportunity exists for them. On housing, Murphy said the council supports increased investment in the Workforce Housing Tax Credit Program for 30, from $35 million to $50 million. That would be a great step to make sure we're continuing to increase Iowa's housing stock for new development, he said. The primary goal would be to increase the number of owner-occupied houses, particularly in rural communities. The Iowa Business Council also would support added investment to rehabilitate older and blighted homes, he said. That would be a really important step for the legislature to take. Thirdly, the business council would like to see the legislature pass a bill that would approve funding for the MEGA program, which is designed to provide incentives to expand or attract new substantial companies to Iowa. A bill was introduced in 2023 but failed to gain traction before the session ended. The major focuses on companies that would primarily be engaged in research and development, bioscience, or advanced manufacturing. It would require an investment of at least $1 billion by the company and the commitment to create high-quality paying jobs. It really sets us up to make sure our economy is ready for those opportunities so that we're forward-looking on what those opportunities might present and allow ourselves to compete. Murphy said there are many other states that have programs like this. Iowa does not, and as a result of that, we're at a competitive disadvantage at the moment. He said the idea behind the project is to attract a company where they are going to have a sizable impact on Iowa's economy for a long period of time. It's about hitting a home run, he said. The Business Council's agenda for the 2024 session is about making Iowa more competitive. 
There's a unique opportunity to expand competitiveness of Iowa tax policy while still making sure we're investing in areas like housing, workplace learning, mental health services, and childcare, while also incenting that next generation of innovation and industry in our state, which will be really important as we think long-term for the next 20 years. Murphy will be a panelist for the Business Records Legislative Forecast, and that event is scheduled for noon to 1 p.m. on Tuesday, January 9th. Elsewhere in the business record, Des Moines City official says that the Global Plaza could be built on the former Dyko site if the stadium project doesn't move forward. This is an article written by Kathy Bolton of the business record. Dilapidated buildings, above ground tanks, and other debris were cleared over two years from a site southwest of Des Moines where pro-Iowa Stadium Global Plaza have been proposed to be built. Little else has occurred since then on the 43-acre parcel located on 200 Southwest 16th Street that previously was home to Dyco, a manufacturing company that contaminated the site. This past summer, Krauss Group CEO Kyle Krauss began lobbying city and county officials for more public funding for the proposed project. Krauss, who proposed development of the 6,300-seat stadium prior to the start of the pandemic, has said he wants to reduce a funding gap in the project, estimated to cost $95 million. Krauss told the business record in an email, Collaborative conversations with our public officials continue, and I remain optimistic that the pro-Iowa Stadium and Global Plaza will progress in 2024. We are enthusiastic about the economic impact and cultural community opportunities the project will bring to downtown and central Iowa. If the stadium project doesn't move forward, options are limited to what can be built on the site, which was designated as a Superfund site by the federal government in 1983. Connie Bozen, Des Moines' Mary Leck, recently told the business record, I certainly hope the stadium project goes forward. You are limited to what you can have on that site. I think there's other outdoor opportunities that we can create there. The proposed stadium and plaza projects would be located north of an Icon Water Trails project planned on the Raccoon River near Fleur Drive. The mitigation of a dam near Fleur will allow several water activities, including surfing and kayaking. Bozen said, we're going to need to have gateway to the water trails feature, and that alone will spur some economic development. Matt Anderson, Des Moines' deputy city manager, said if the stadium is not built, We'd still like to move forward the Global Plaza. We'd continue your partnership with Polk County, who is currently at the table negotiating with us and the business community. There is a desire to do the Global Plaza and have festival space and park space. Still Anderson, in an email, wrote that negotiations with Krauss Group are ongoing. Anderson wrote, the complex nature of this $500 million mixed-use development has required a very nuanced analysis and we are making progress daily. Our hope is to present terms for city council consideration in the first quarter of 2024. Krauss has set up to $500 million in other real estate development projects were to occur in the area around the stadium into the north in the Western Gateway District. A hotel, retail shops, entertainment venue, and residential are among the developments proposed in the area adjacent to the stadium. If the stadium is not built, Bolson said she is hopeful that some of the other things proposed for the area could still be developed, but the stadium would propel those developments even more. Zoning has been changed for a former school property in Des Moines. The 
zoning and land use classification was changed by the Des Moines City Council this week for the former Whittier Elementary School property located at 1350 East Washington Avenue. The former school property has been unused for several years. Neighbors of the property formed a nonprofit group in 2022 to convert the century plus old three story brick building into a neighborhood center. New uses in the building will include office space, a studio, cafe, and urban garden, according to information provided to council members. Kelly Linden, who was involved with the project, told the council, I'm very excited to see this project move forward. It's going to be a great asset to our neighborhood, and it's also addressing a critical need in our neighborhood, which is a food desert. The council unanimously approved the rezoning request. And a weekly column from the uh, business record uh, is written by Kathy Bolton. It governs uh, transactions in real estate uh, in central Iowa and, and Des Moines in particular. The city of Des Moines has acquired property at 123 Clark Street that includes a warehouse. Planned Parenthood of Greater Iowa had used to store books donated to its annual book sale. The city paid Plant Parenthood just over $1.4 million for the 1.1-acre parcel. The property valued at $1.6 million includes a 21,150-square-foot warehouse that was built in 1968. The city is reconstructing 2nd Avenue between the Des Moines River South to University Avenue. The reconstruction includes improving intersections. The portion of Clark Street that is east of 2nd Avenue will be moved to align with the west portion of the street. According to Steve Neighbor, Des Moines City Engineer, the three-quarters mile corridor averages about 45 crashes a year. The crash rate for this corridor is more than two times the state average for corridors of similar nature, Neighbor wrote in an email. With the major reconstruction work and utility work, it is the right time to make safety improvements that include adding left turn lanes at select intersections, realigning offset intersections at Forest Avenue and Clark Street, and making access control improvements. The acquisition of property adjacent to Clark Street was necessary to construct the Clark Street realignment. The reconstruction project, which is expected to cost $17.1 million, is anticipated to start in 2024 and being completed by fall of 2026. And uh, the real estate transaction for that project was recorded on December 11th. In other transactions, district developer paid the city of Des Moines $1.45 million for property on Southeast 4th Street. The property previously had been occupied by the city's public works department. District developer is a consortium that includes developer James County's JSC properties, MidAmerican Energy, NAP properties, developer Tim Ripma, and others. The group plans to develop or redevelop, I should say, 39 acres of the market district, which is a 260-acre rough uh, area, roughly surrounded by East Court Avenue, Southeast 14th Street, Scott Avenue, and the river. When completed, the redeveloped area is expected to include multifamily residence, at least one hotel, an office, and commercial space. Over the past two and a half years, new sewers, streets, utilities, and bio Swells have been installed in a portion of the redevelopment area. That transaction was recorded on December 12th. In a related transaction, MidAmerican Energy paid district developer nearly $8 million for property at 201 East Elm Street. Utility is developing a nine-acre park that will be a buffer between the Des Moines River and the Market District.
Iowa State group that is based in Houston, Texas, paid the Kim Chapman Trust $900,000 for property at 1229 Ohio Street in Des Moines. The property includes an 11,792-square-foot office warehouse that was built in 1994. Midwest Ambulance Service is located in the building. The property is valued at $1.47 million. Southwinds LLC, located in New York, paid Des Moines Leased Housing Association $4.2 million for property on Cummins Road in Des Moines. The property includes two three-story apartment buildings with a total of 59 units. The buildings were constructed in 1993. That property is valued at $856,500. The Lauren James Merkel Revocable Trust paid Shane and Raven Klein $2.3 million for property at 7751 Northeast 110th Avenue in Bondurant. The nearly seven-acre parcel includes a 2,941 square foot house built in 2012. The transaction was recorded on December 13. 512 Elm LLC, which is based in Denver, Colorado, paid Elm Street Partnership $625,000 for property at 512 Elm Street. The property includes a 9,900 square foot warehouse that was constructed in 2005 property is valued at $1.1 million. EDF Management LLC, located in Johnston, paid LAS Management just over $1 million for property on Merle Hay Road in Johnston. The property includes an 8,040-square-foot medical office building that was constructed in 1975, and the property is valued at $945,000. Jefferson Way LLC, located in Salt Lake City, paid Lone Wolf $1.3 million for property roughly located north of Indianola Avenue and west of Highway 69 in Des Moines. The property includes nearly eight acres of farm ground, and that transaction was recorded on the 15th of December. Des Moines Metropolitan Wastewater Reclamation Authority paid the Davison Revocable Trust $6 million for property on Southeast 30th Street and on 2901CB and Q Street. Both of those are in Des Moines. The two-acre parcel at 1500 Southeast 30th Street includes a 32,300-square-foot metal building that was erected in 1956. Door, uh, Don's Auto and Track Sales operated out of the building. The property is valued at $356,000. The property on uh, Q Street includes 17 and a half acres have been operated as an auto salvage yard for over four decades, and that property is valued at $149,000. Joshua and Justine Simmons paid PDG Holdings $1.1 million for property at uh, on Little Lave Trail in West Des Moines. The property includes a 2,308-square-foot house built in 1995 and remodeled in 2023. That transaction was recorded on December 15th. Now, in Dallas County uh, real estate news, AgriView Crossing, based in Clive, paid Agra Equities Incorporated just over $8 million for over 368 acres of farmland located east of Redfield and north of the Raccoon River. The transaction was recorded on December 5th. In a related transaction, LFLC, also based in Clive, paid Florida-based Agra Equities equities, I should say, 
$6.4 million for farmland northeast of Redfield. That transaction was recorded on the 5th of December. Thomas and Monique DeFaney paid Allen and Tara Graff just over $1 million for property at 85 Hidden Metal Drive in Waukee. The property includes a 2,200-square-foot single-family home that was built in 2013. Roger and Catherine Bell paid a claim in construction $1.3 million for property at 4719 Centennial Boulevard in Urbandale. The property includes a 2,600-square-foot house whose construction was recently completed. Silo Nat Platt LLC paid City State Bank and the Scott B. Neff Living Trust $1.5 million for property at 9520 Mill Civic Parkway in West Des Moines. The property includes a 3,400-square-foot 3, log cabin house building on 15 and a half acres. And finally, the Adele DeSoto Minburn School District paid Robert and Tracy Barton $1.25 million for a 38-acre parcel east of Highway 6 and south of Metal Road. Nearly 25 acres is farmland. The remaining acres are heavily treed, and that transaction was recorded on December 15th. In an item from the business record sponsored content, and the headline of this story is consumer-led growth is a marketing strategy you can't afford to skip. This is uh, written by Emily Steele, who is the CEO and co-founder of Hummingbirds. There's an exciting movement happening in commerce called community-led growth, or CLG. It's not a completely new concept as direct sales and affiliate companies have tapped into their own networks for years or rather than an existing concept being modernized to suit today's customers. Today, you don't need to be a MLM brand or e-commerce company to utilize peer-to-peer influence. Humans, as your marketing distribution channel, is available to almost every type of company and can radically shift how people perceive your brand, engage in your, in, with your offers, drive sales, and ultimately create customer loyalty. Consumers care about who they're buying from. Brands can no longer rely on a flashy website to close sales. They need to have a meaningful mission, story, and real faces representing their brand. Brands that only rely on monologues to reach consumers are missing an incredibly exciting opportunity to lean into dialogue, whether it's from their own brand, think of that, think of what is possible with artificial intelligence, or because of their advocates. 92% of people trust friends and family over any other form of advertising. Consumers are learning about brands in a variety of ways, but we all know that a real person's opinion has significantly more weight than a static message on a metal sign in the sky. The question is, how do you blend channels with extensive reach while also tapping into the voices that bring those channels to life through emotion and engaging conversation? Consumers source information in multiple places before making a decision. The journey of reaching today's modern consumer is complex. They may see a billboard, overhear someone talking about a company at the coffee shop, then they happen to scroll past a post from their friends on Facebook and send them a message over Messenger to see what they thought. Add a CLG growth channel to your marketing plan this year. Including CLG as a growth channel in 2024 is a sure way to connect with real people who want to amplify your business and become your long-term customer and super fan. It creates a shift from interruption marketing to intimacy marketing, 
where customers feel connected to you. Ready to try CLG to drive local behavior? Hummingbirds has given brands access to these everyday people who are eager to try out their business and share it with their network of friends, both online and offline. And again, that was a sponsored column written by Emily Steele of Hummingbirds. You're listening to this week's edition of the Business Record. Our thanks to the folks at Business Publications for providing a copy of the Business Record to Iris so that we can read it for you. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. Now back to the business record. Next up is a column by David Elbert of the business record. For the past 11 years, David Elbert has written the business record's Elbert Files column. Before that, he was a writer, editor, and columnist for the Des Moines Register for 37 years covering local politics, business, and culture. The business record asked Dave to highlight the key stories of the past 40 years. Last week, we read uh, up to 1995. We'll resume reading from David's column at that point. Here's 1996. For years, Des Moines travelers complained about air travel. Prices were high and direct flights were few, but nothing happened until Roger Ferguson showed up. Husband of Grinnell College President Pamela Ferguson, Roger had a lot of experience with air travel. He'd been an executive at Eastern Airlines and a consultant at a startup airline in Atlanta. During the last five years as Pamela Ferguson's plus one, Roger Ferguson got to know Des Moines power brokers. Few were surprised when he proposed a startup air carrier based in Des Moines that would provide flights to both coasts. The original name was Pioneer, but it was soon changed to Excess Air, which applied for federal operating permits. By the end of 1997, Ferguson had raised $19 million to startup capital, had 25 employees, and was working on deals to lease Boeing 737 jets. Principal Financial Group's new Z building was the third new structure on the insurance company's corporate campus in 10 years. Shaped like the letter Z, the eight-story, 457,000-square-foot building gained national fame when Maya Lin of the, of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial fame was hired to create an art installation that turned out to be a three-story, three-dimensional water sculpture. Moving ahead to 1997, the Broadway production of Phantom of the Opera arrived at the Des Moines Civic Center in January and didn't leave until March. Phantom was initially scheduled for 32 shows, but wound up adding an extra week and playing 40 times the longest run of any Civic Center production. Des Moines Phantom was Jeff Chelesvig, who was hired two years earlier to manage the Civic Center with big expectations, and he delivered. His promotions for Phantom included a pajama party at the theater the night before ticket sales began. The longer Chelesvig stayed in Des Moines, and he is still here, the better things got. Although he grew up in rural Iowa, years of cultivating Broadway connections paid off repeatedly when hits ranging from The Lion King to Hamilton appeared in Des Moines years ahead of cities of comparable size. In July, the Dutch insurance giant ING Group announced it would acquire Equitable of Iowa, the Des Moines-based insurer founded 150 years earlier by pioneer businessman F.M. Hubble. The price... $2.2 $2.2 billion was an Iowa record at the time, but it would soon be dwarfed by the sale of Pioneer Hybrid International. No one knew it in 1997, but a young writer on our staff would go on to win awards for novels set in India, Japan, and other far-off, and other far-off locations. 
novelist John Shores II is the son of Patsy Shores and a well-known local lawyer of the same name. Before John Shores II wrote books that were translated in 25 languages, he wrote about Des Moines Skywalks and John Papajohn for the business record. Moving ahead to 1998, a bid to place a riverboat casino on either, Gray, on either Gray's Lake or the Des Moines River was foiled by Meredith CEO Jack Rem, who said if a casino was approved, Meredith would scrap plans for its major distance adjacent to the Western Gateway Park. The list of potential downtown projects was growing and now includes several vision plan suggestions along with proposals for new auditorium and convention venues and educational and research space. The project that helped crystallize a plan was Ted Townsend's proposal for a 20-story domed rainforest. Townsend was the son of Ray Townsend, a genius engineer who manufactured equipment for stuffing ground meat into sausage casings. The rainforest idea captured a lot of attention, but little financial support. It was keeping other proposals from advancing until REM suggested forming a major projects task force to create a priority list. Not surprisingly, the list did not include the rainforest, which caused Townsend to shop the idea to other cities. Eventually, it died for lack of interest, but not until it was approved for a $50 million federal grant. Fortunately, the grant required an equal amount of matching funds, which was never raised. 1996, I'm sorry, 1999 was a year of transitions. Excess Air began flying in February, but shut down and was forced into bankruptcy court in November. Democrat Tom Vilsack, a lawyer from Mount Pleasant, began the first of two terms as governor, replacing Iowa's longest-serving chief executive, Republican Terry Branstad, who stepped down after 16 years. The big business news was the sale of Des Moines-based Pioneer Hybrid International, the world's largest seed company manufacturer, to Delaware-based DuPont. Two years earlier, DuPont had acquired 20% of Pioneer, the $7.7 billion uh, DuPont paid for the remaining 80% was the largest single business transaction in Iowa history. Pioneer was founded in 1926 by corn breeder Henry A. Wallace, who went on to serve as Secretary of Agriculture and Vice President under President Franklin Roosevelt. The sale was negotiated by Pioneer Chairman Charles Johnson and DuPont Chairman Charles Chad Holliday over guacamole and chips at El Patio, a local Mexican restaurant. Other leadership changes include Barry Griswell replacing David Drury at Principal Financial Group and Lloyd Ward replacing Leonard Hadley at Maytag Corporation, Newton Struggling Appliance Maker. Also, Drake University got a new president, David Maxwell, and Kent Henning became the new president of Grandview College. Another big change involved a major reorganization of the Greater Des Moines Chamber of Commerce and several other development groups into the Greater Des Moines Partnership. Mike Bloom was tapped to direct the group. The Dubuque native res resume included U.S. congressman and service in the Iowa legislature, as well as six years of working magic at the Cedar Rapids Area Chamber of Commerce. We now continue with David Albert's column as we move into the 2000s. And year 2000 was named Game Changers. George W. Bush was the first non-incumbent to win the Iowa Republican Presidential Caucus and go on to win the presidency in a November election and was ultimately determined by the United States Supreme Court. Elsewhere, 
It was a rough year for Access Air and Maytag. It was a time of hope for local developers as Allied Insurance announced plans for a $137 million, $137 million headquarters downtown and General Growth Properties proposed a giant shopping mall town center at Jordan Creek in West Des Moines. John Ruan III tried to save Access Air from bankruptcy and got the startup back in the air briefly. However, the airline lacked the local support it needed and did not last long. Maytag, a Wall Street darling, in 1998, lost 35% of its value in 1999 and another 30% in May. Speculation mounted that the headquarters would move out of Newton, that the appliance maker was a takeover target. By November, Lloyd Ward was out and Leonard Hadley was back as CEO. In 2006, Maytag would be sold to Whirlpool, eliminating 4,500 jobs in Newton. 2001, financial tear. The September 11th terrorist attacks in Manhattan and Washington, D.C. affected virtually every business in the country. The Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 14 percentage points during the week following an attack, the biggest single loss since 1933. Investments worth $1.38 trillion were wiped out. Several publicly traded Iowa companies were hit hard. As the nation slid into recession, Iowa lost 2,900 manufacturing jobs. Interest rates were pushed down, which spurred home loans and home equity lending by banks. Wells Fargo, which had centered its nationwide home mortgage business in West Des Moines, added 400 jobs. In the midst of chaos, Principal Financial Group completed a plan change from a mutual company owned by policyholders to a stock company. It sold 100 million new shares to the public at $18.50 on October 22nd and distributed 260 million shares to 875 policyholders, creating more than $4.8 billion of newly tradable wealth. As the year ended, 52-year-old Rick Jurgens succeeded Ron Pearson as president of Hy-Vee. Jurgens would lead Hy-Vee for the next 10 years, during which time sales would de- more than double to $7.3 billion, and employment would increase by 15000 to 60,000 workers. Moving ahead to the year 20, uh, 2002, the Riverwalk. 1990 Vision Plan architect Gonsolnas planted a seed when he told principal financial CEO David Hurd that the downtown riverfront could become a work of art. Twelve years later, Hurd's successor, Barry Griswold, announced that the insurer would commit $5 million to $10 million to what was expected to be a $15 million to $20 million dollar Riverwalk project. It would ultimately become a $70 million effort with an iconic arch pedestrian bridge, not including a $30 million makeover of the city's riverfront library into the World Food Prize Hall of Laureates, a $8.6 million renovation of City Hall, creation of the $6 million Lauriston Skate Park, and completion of a $137 million U.S. courthouse. Two other vision plan projects that were also slowly moving forward were the East Side Business District, which has been renamed East Village, and the Western Gateway Park. It would take years, but eventually Des Moines Development Corp. would clear out businesses and residents for the five-block park between Locust Street and Grand Avenue. The only buildings untouched were an apartment house at the Masonic Temple, in which developer Harry Bookie placed a signature restaurant called Chantro in November Democrat Tom Vilsack was re-elected governor 
defeating Des Moines lawyer Doug Gross, 53% to 45%. In 2003, by now Governor Vilsack had an ambitious plan called Vision Iowa to make over Iowa's cultural and recreational landscape with $300 million in state money. Des Moines leaders, citing their 1998 major projects, said they would spend their $75 million on a $200 million auditorium sports arena. Vision Iowa Chairman Michael Gartner told the partnerships Bluen to think bigger. Years earlier, Gartner had helped distribute millions from the estate of a theater mogul Raymond Blank by requiring matching fundraising from nonprofits. Gartner wanted the same multiplier from Vision Iowa funds and negotiated a deal that broadened support for the auditorium sports venue, but also boosted financial support for half a dozen other projects, including a new downtown home for the Science Center of Iowa, a new public library, and a downtown uh, educa adult education building. Gartner later said, the things you thought might be doable in 30 years happened in 30 months. Separately, Wells Fargo Financial unveiled plans for a block-long addition to 800 Walnut Street, which would eventually include the city's tallest, eight stories, Skywalk, and Wells Fargo Mortgage said it would create a new suburban campus southwest of Jordan Creek Mall. Rainforest promoter Ted Townsend shifted his local focus to another passion, Great Apes, and established the Iowa Primate Learning Sanctuary in an undeveloped area of southeast Des Moines. He hired Rob Shoemaker from the Smithsonian's National Zoo in Washington, D.C. to build and run the project. Now we move ahead to 2004, and the title this year is the Great Ape Trust. Townsend's Great Ape Trust began receiving orangutans in September. The following year, the guest list expanded to include others. Um, her prize pupil, Kanzi, a 25-year-old male Bonneville, understood English as well as a two-and-a-half-year-old. Kanzi communicated with a special keyboard containing 384 symbols. He could also use tools that had played music with former Beatle Paul McCartney. Today, Kanzi is 43 and has his own four-page listing on Wikipedia. Savage Rumbaugh left Des Moines in 2013, but Kanzi remains in what is now called the Ape Initiative, Earlier this year, Kansi learned the video game Minecraft. Elsewhere, Gary Kirk was beginning construction of West, Town, uh, West Glen Town Center in West Des Moines, across from his Glen Oaks Golf Community. After selling his insurance agency, KVI, in 1998, Kirk branched out to gaming, entertainment, and manufacturing. A prized tenant at West Glen was Joseph's Jewelers, which built a distinctive 18,000-square-foot prairie-style store and headquarters near the shopping center entrance. In downtown Western Gateway Park, artisans were putting the final touches on the John and Mary Papa John Education Center at 1200 Grand Avenue. The 35,000-square-foot project was the brainchild of the Des Moines Higher Education Cooperative, a collection of seven Iowa universities and venture capitalist John Papa John. It's not your typical classroom building, said architect Bradley Hartman. Moving ahead to 2005, the payoff from Michael Gartner's effort to spread Vision Iowa money across several projects began in 2004 with the opening of the Papa John Higher Education Center. Then in May 2005, a $62 million science center of Iowa and IMAX Theater opened south of Court Avenue and the $217 million 
Iowa Event Center opened its doors in July. The Event Center was three projects, Wells Fargo Arena, which hosts 16,000 for sporting events and 17,000 for concerts, Hy-Vee Hall, which features 15,000 square feet of convention space and breakout rooms, and the Iowa Hall of Pride, which honored Iowa's high school students and athletes. The Hall of Pride closed and went online in 2022. Another project that had been on the drawing board since the 1920s was also completed, a bypass road along the southern edge of downtown. The old idea resurfaced with the 1990 vision plan, and a big piece of it was completed in 2005 with the opening of the 472-foot George Washington Carver Bridge across the Raccoon River. Downtown housing was also catching on, with several projects launched following the success of the upscale Soho lofts in the East Village, where future Governor Kim Reynolds would share an apartment with Iowa's economic director, Debbie Durham, a decade later. In northwest Iowa, MidAmerican Energy was completing the first of many wind farms that would reshape the face of power generation in Iowa. 2006, Des Moines' new $32 million public library in Western Gateway Park opened April 8th. It was like no library in the world with an elongated footprint that resembled the shape of a jet airliner. It had a copper glass see-through walls that allowed patrons to look out on the park during the day and passersby to see inside at night. British architect David Chipperfield designed the unique building after local leaders decided in the mid-1990s to make a new library a focal point of the new downtown park. Once that decision was made, John Ruan and his family stepped forward and began formulating a plan to convert the original Riverfront Library into World Food Prize Hall of Laureates. A five-year, $30 million effort to renovate the old library began soon after the new library opened. A few blocks southeast of the new library, another unusual project was about to begin. Jeff Hunter, owner of the Fort Des Moines Hotel, launched an effort to tear down a parking ramp built in 1957 and replaced with a 13-story multi-purpose building that would feature ground-level retail, seven floors of parking, and office space on top floors. Also in 2006, Democrat Chet Culver was elected governor, defeating Republican Congressman Jim Nussel after Governor Tom Vilsack decided to concentrate on an ill-advised run from the White House. London-based insurer Aviva agreed to pay $2.6 billion for the Des Moines-based Ameris Group. In 2007, the I-235 rebuild. The single most expensive construction project in Des Moines history was completed in October. It took six years and cost $429 million to rebuild 14 miles of Interstate 235 and replace 20 interchanges. Even then, they didn't get it right and had to go back and add no turn on red signs at several exits because taller bridges made it more difficult to see around corners. Iowa's three-month Microsoft antitrust trial ended abruptly with a bit of a whimper in February after a juror complained about being bored by days of technical testimony. The settlement was reported to be up to $180 million, which Microsoft would pay customers who purchased software between 1994 and 2006. Legal fees paid by Microsoft to Des Moines lawyer Roxanne Conlin and other private lawyers who prosecute, prosecuted the case were reported to be $75 million. Maytag's 114-year history with Newton officially ended in November 
when the final 100 employees of the once iconic maker of washing machines was sent home by the new owner, Whirlpool. And meanwhile, downtown lost its last new car dealer when Bill Jensen sold Crescent Chevrolet to Deary Brothers, which moved operations to Carlisle, where it already had a Chevy dealership. Founded in 1931, Crescent was once one of 30 new car dealerships in the downtown area. 2008, tough times, twin disasters, and economic recession, another flood defined the year. The Great Recession is what experts called the financial implosion ignited by overheated mortgage lending. The disaster upended West Des Moines-based Regency Homes, Iowa's largest home builder, along with many other builders, while market collapse swallowed large chunks of individual retirement portfolios. The emerging disaster also helped elect a junior United States senator as president. Barack Obama was the first non-incumbent to win both Iowa's Democratic presidential caucuses in the general election before Obama. Jimmy Carter had come closest to 1976 when the Georgia peanut farmer came in second behind uncommitted in the caucuses. Like the recession, the year's massive floods would require years of recovery. In many ways, the June floods were worse than 1993. They were more widespread, with the worst of damage occurring in the Cedar Rapids, Iowa City area, and the damage in some parts of the Des Moines metro was worse than 15 years earlier. The big difference was this flood did not take out the Des Moines waterworks and leave 250,000 people without water. New flood walls protected the water plant, although flood walls along the river north of downtown did not hold. Damage led city officials to once again rethink the downtown riverfront and how to protect it. 2009, from bad to good. First, the bad news, fallout from the 28th financial meltdown produced layoffs at many of Iowa's largest employers, including Principal Financial Group, Pella Windows, Rockwell Collins, and Winnebago Industries. Nearly 4,000 Iowans lost their jobs as statewide unemployment climbed from 4.4% to 6.7%, the highest since the 1982-83 farm crisis when the jobless rate hit 8.5%. Also, an outbreak of swine flu pushed down demand for pork. Coupled with an unusually wet harvest season, Iowa's farm income fell by about $2.4 billion. Now the good news. November saw the long awaited opening of the John and Mary Pepajohn Sculpture Park in Western Gateway Park with the $40 million worth of outdoor art from the south of Grand Home of the Papajohns. Also, former car dealer Mike Vukovich was named chief executive of Blank Park Zoo, which he would transform from a tourist afterthought to one of the city's most popular attractions. And finally, Jim Pollock, the business record editor at the time and a good humor man, wrote that new West Des Moines hospitals built by the parent companies of downtown's Methodist and Mercy hospitals were practically close enough to each other to share stethoscopes. Now we move into the 2010s. In 2010, Ruan and Brandstad. John Ruan, the most successful Iowa entrepreneur of his generation, died on February 13th, two days after his 96th birthday. Ruan founded one of the nation's largest trucking companies with a single dump truck in 1932. He owned Bankers Trust and built the 35-story Ruan Center in downtown Marriott Hotel. He spent his final years funding and promoting the World Food Prize, the brainchild of Iowa agronomist and Nobel Peace Prize winner Norman Borlaug. Republican Terry Branstad was governor for 16 years before stepping down in 1999 to work as a financial advisor 
and then as president of Des Moines University. Branstad returned to politics in 2010 to run for governor against incumbent Democratic Governor Chuck Culver. Branstad promised to cut the size of state government by 15%, and he beat Culver 53% to 43%. A conservative backlash against the Iowa Supreme Court's 2009 unanimous decision to legalize gay marriage saw voters reject three high court justices who were up for retention. Meanwhile, Iowans voted overwhelmingly, 62% to 38%, to create a conservation reserve fund for clean water. It would be funded with the first three-eighths of a cent in the next state sales tax increase, which still has not happened 13 years later. And the 1,600 employees of Walmart Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Iowa moved into the health insurer's new $250 million complex on Grand Avenue across the John and Mary Papa John Sculpture Park. Separately, 1,300 downtown employees of Aviva USA moved from downtown to a $150 million building in West Des Moines. Moving ahead to 2011, most of John Ruan III's life was lived in the shadow of his iconic father. Not until the final years of Ruan Sr.'s life did John III step into the light to complete his father's final overwhelming passion, having Des Moines recognized as the food capital of the world. At one point, the Elder Ruan wanted to make that statement with a 100-story World Trade Center building. Later, he decided his vehicle would be the world food prize. John III brought the dream to fruition by doing something the old man never would have, saving a historic building. After the public library moved out of its 1903 riverfront home in 26. John III and World Food Prize President Kenneth Quinn executed a $30 million conversation, $30 million conversion of the old building into the World Food Prize Hall of Laureates. Today, the Hall of Laureates is the centerpiece of the annual awarding of the World Food Prize and serves as a year-round museum and event space focused on agriculture. City officials used a bus to break ribbons when they opened the new Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway Bridge across the Des Moines River, completing a long-imagined southern loop around downtown. The twin 700-foot bridges, one eastbound and one westbound, cost $38 million. And in 2012, as health insurance was the thing, passage two years earlier, the Affordable Care Act encouraged former Iowa Insurance Commissioner David Lyons and Cliff Gold, a recently retired health insurance executive, create co-op Opportunity Health to complete to compete with the state's largest health insurer, Walmart Blue Cross Blue Shield. They thought that their startup's lower premiums could pull customers from Walmart and that federal subsidies would keep them profitable. Walmart fought back and managed to keep its most profitable and healthy customers, leaving co-op opportunity with people whose insurance claims exceeded co-opportunity's income. After two years, the startup was underwater and out of business. Metro Bus System, Des Moines Area Regional Transit Authority, moved downtown transfers for its 155 buses off Walnut Street to a new $21 million transfer station. Veterans Memorial Auditorium, which opened in 1955, received a $428 million makeover and was renamed Veterans Memorial Community Choice Convention Center. And managing editor Jim Pollock had his tongue firmly in cheek when he wrote his final column before succumbing to cancer. It was titled Progress Through Flooding and Marveled at How Disasters Often Result in Build Back Better Schemes Until the Next Disaster Strikes. Building in a floodplain isn't a boneheaded mistake, Jim wrote. It's an economic development plan. 
He noted how the University of Iowa had wrangled $267 million free money that comes from a magic drawer in Washington, D.C. And we will pick up that historic look on business in Des Moines uh, next week's reading. Uh, you've been listening to the business record on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. I'm Pat Steele, and I appreciate your listening. Thank you for sharing your time with IRIS. Thank you.